welcome to Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn at iPropertyRadio and indeed email the show at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon, and I'm delighted to be joined by a special industry co-host, Mr. Shane Dempsey, Director of Communications with the Construction Industry Federation and, of course, regular guest on this show. So, Shane, thank you so much for agreeing to be my co-host today. Listen, thanks for having me, Carol. I appreciate it. Well, that's what happens when you don't come on as a guest as often as we like, then we bring you in as a co-host. There's no escaping us, Shane. But... uh, I want, we're, a, I, we're... Want, I want a weekly slot from now on. <laughs> be careful, be careful what yeah. you wish for, Shane. Yeah. But uh, today we're going to really focus on the, uh, well, innovation across the construction industry. And for that, I'm delighted to be able to join our first guest today is PJ Rudden, Chair Innovation and Digital Adoption for the Construction Sector Group. You're very welcome, PJ. Thank you, Karen. Carol, you probably don't realize it, but this is a, your your first interview with Azar, because oh, really? uh, yeah, PJ Rudden, the, I, I'm titling him the Construction Innovation Czar for the Irish construction industry. So, PJ, uh, are, are you are you are you able to live up to that title? Do you think? Thanks for the plug. <laughs> I'll try and live up to Shane. Thanks. Good, 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 good. Uh, well, PJ, you were appointed there recently um, uh, as part of the construction sector group's innovation subgroup. So these titles uh, uh, can be confusing sometimes, but the construction sector group is literally the government's engagement vehicle for our industry. Uh, any policy changes, any progress, any uh, developments generally run through that. So what what has what have you been doing so far? What has the progress been like on improving productivity in the construction industry? Okay, well it's it's, it's early days yet. I, I'm only in place in September, as you know. And um, what this is all about is is about building the next generation of infrastructure um, on the project uh, Ireland twenty forty to accommodate a population of another one million people in the country. And that's aligned with the National Development Plan, which is uh, an ambitious rollout of construction activities over the next 10 years, at least, um, valued at about 116 billion, which is a lot of money. So if you like, the government are very concerned to ensure that this money is spent properly and, and w- well in a productive manner. And uh, so, um, you know, I, I've been appointed to implement the seven priority actions from the CPMG productivity report. And that report uh, more or less uh, addressed the whole issue of productivity and efficiency in the construction industry. And, uh, and we have to do learnings from, from, you know, across Europe and globally on the, the, the development of the construction industry uh, as it moves into the next phase of, of digitization and, and innovation. And PJ, why is there such a focus now from government? For the last ten years, the the industry was kind of been recovering uh, from from the uh, Great Recession, and there hasn't been much interest in the government. It's fair to say, on in the industry, why is there such a focus now on innovation and driving innovation in the industry? Well, I suppose uh, it's because we're behind. Now, in fairness, you did refer to the very deep recession. Uh, which was far from a V recovery. It was very much an L-shaped recovery, if yeah. at all. And uh, quite, uh, but I suppose the impetus, uh, the catalyst for this new engagement with, with government and with innovation 
was the fact that when the National Development Plan was published in 2018, uh, the government were well aware that the industry um, was still recovering from the previous recession and the skill set. I mean, we lost, as you know, half half our workforce uh, to Australia and other English-speaking countries. Some of them came back, some of them did not. So there's a lack of skills in the country, but there's a real lack of innovation and digital adoption. And these seven actions are intended to lift the industry to where they would have been had there not been a recession, I would have hoped. Uh, mm. So a lot of work to do, but, you know, the construction industry recognises this. And in fact, they, uh, as you know, with the CIF, have been working on some of these actions for, for a couple of years, even before this all started. Mm. I, I, Very I, good. I, yeah, sorry, Carol, go on, yeah. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask PJ, you might just outline those seven actions for people who aren't familiar. Right, OK. I, I'll deal with the three major ones first. Uh, three major ones are to um, guide the development of modern methods of construction. And I can come back to say what that's about, but it's more or less off-site construction. The second one is to con have a, a construction technology centre. Ireland doesn't have one of those. It, it would be a centre of excellence for the construction industry where they, you know, new methods would be tried and research. It would be a research institute, really. There is such an institute for the other main industries, such as food, manufacturing and electronics and so on, but none for the construction industry. And that, that speaks for itself, that that is absolutely necessary. And the third major item is to digitise the, the construction industry through building information modelling. Um, and that is to enable projects to be done better, to be done on time and within budget. And that's part of a major conversation, as you know, nationally at the moment. So it's a rescale, retool the industry uh, to uh, build the new national infrastructure in a much more efficient manner. And, and PJ, uh, um, so you're, you're saying there, it's, it's taken us back to the level we're at. Um, and we might go into the seven streams in a little more detail. Uh, but, but why historically has the industry been uh, um, slow to innovate? Uh, and it, it's very much a global problem from my understanding. Innovation and productivity levels are, are low generally in construction. That, that's correct. Uh, I mean, you know, if you look at the KPMG report, they, they show how we compare in terms of productivity per hour uh, quite uh, negatively against even the UK, which is somewhat ahead of us. But I mean, the leading European cities, probably Holland, Holland, uh, Denmark, Germany. Uh, but globally, you're right. It is a problem globally, because if you read McKinsey reports on construction, they say that it's a low tech industry globally. Always has been. And why is this? Well, frankly, it's historical, uh, and it's historical why we are below par, uh, because unlike our next-door neighbour, the UK, and the other countries in Europe, we didn't have an industrial revolution in the 19th century. We were trying to get our freedom, and various other issues were on our minds <laughs> at the country. In fact, we were hardly getting uh, proper education at the time. So we're really doing catch-up. As we know now, we're one of the fastest, if not hopefully still, when the when the when the COVID thing is over. I think we were, sec we were second strongest um, growing economy in Europe again. So things are looking good. And, um, uh, you know, well, I think though the first, the first um, plank in, in reforming something is to, rec is to actually admit uh, where the failure is. And the failure is not to adopt digitization and we're still using pencils and rubbers, really, in some cases. And it's not as crude as that. 
because the industry mm. there's the larger the larger firms both contracting and consulting uh, have adopted building information modeling BIM BIM level two. Mm. But I mean BIM level two isn't innovation anymore. It's BIM no. four, five, six, and seven that will prevent any new major projects uh, from from becoming a talking point during the construction. And I won't mm. mention one pro project in particular that's a matter of focus but I mean um, now I didn't I didn't tell I didn't tell um, Carol the other four actions and they're important Sorry, one yeah. is to digitize the planning permission system another is to establish a digital network under the uh, construction skill net uh, which uh, Shane is very much part of um, to uh, reskill the industry and also to address the serious issue of lack of gender balance in the industry uh, another one is to identify funding for all of this in terms of Irish and European funding uh, levels. And, and the other one is the construction research form, which the construction industry here have had underway in any event in the last two or three years and are reporting early on that one. Very good. Um, I, and I, I'd be kind of thrown out of the CIF if I didn't put this to you, that like innovation is driven by a kind of an interaction between the customer and, 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 and the product or service provider. Um, and in the case of the government who have such an interest in, you know, increasing productivity, is there really the willingness there to collaborate with the industry? Is there f the flexibility in the contract and then the procurement process, you know, to allow the industry to really f uh, innovate and take the little risk that might involve, you know, developing a new product service or, or approach? Um, we've seen our, sec our mech and elect sector and a number of other sectors really blossom because of their engagement um, with, you know, the large multinationals. Is that same kind of willingness to collaborate there amongst the government contracting authorities? Well, I, I, I do think that they, they, they accept that the, that the government formal contract uh, public, um, the, the, the PwC, um, it was unfortunately brought in at the end of the last, um, uh, we'll we call it Celtic Tiger, and at the start of the recession, and it couldn't have happened at a worse time. It has been entirely reconfigured. I'm only in the role of three months, and I detect mm. that government are prepared to put their money where their mouth is. I detect that the industry is also very much um, challenged and able to, to come up to the plate. Uh, time will tell, uh, but you know, mm. so far in the last three months, of the seven activities, we have the reports. Uh, from the industry groups on two of those activities. And on the third activity, we're hoping to go out to tender shortly uh, for a third level college involvement in, in the development of building information modeling, which is BIM. Uh, the other um, actions or activities, and I prefer to call them actions because it's a more powerful word to use than activities, that mm -hmm. um, we would hope that these seven priority activities can be put in place as a starting point uh, to a new innovative industry within two to three years from now. Um, PJ, thanks. thank you for going through all of that. Um, I, I suppose I'm trying to position Ireland, um, you know, to see where we fall and looking at the action steps you're doing, that all sounds very positive. 
but you know we're we're definitely late to the party here you know you know over the last number of years we've seen the uk in particular our closest neighbors you know we've seen them move forward with this you know i think back in was it 2016 or 2017 they made BIM mandatory and all uh, ppp projects um and then there was the appointment of advisors directly to address both cons- construction technologies and indeed prop tech so technology for the entire built environment you know not not just construction but all working in tandem um so do you, is there are there any uh is there legislation pending that makes your appointment too late to to uh really make an impact or to influence or are are you in time uh, and the body that you're going to work with there are you in time to actually feed into um legislation and policy decisions that that will have an impact well, uh, it's never too late. And uh, my answer to that is that, uh, you know, as Shane put his finger on it, uh, the, the, the industrialised part of um, the construction industry are up to speed. The civil part, mm-hmm. which was never industrialised, that, fa- that have fallen behind. And, and in other words, you know, the, the people who do the buildings, I'm a civil engineer myself, so I'm part of what I'm saying is the weaker group. But the, the M&E people, their process, they're, they have been working for years with the pharmaceutical industries, uh, with the data centers, with the high-tech global um, comp- international companies and the you know, foreign direct investment companies. And they are up to speed. But, you know, uh, building our roads, building our water, building our um, you know, new airport and port infrastructure, uh, there hasn't been the same incentive to uh, be on time and within budget, and um, and very and the whole you know system of government approval of projects was found wanting by the government themselves. Uh, in that there were too many approval stages, which slowed the project up. Uh, and of course, every time there was a new approval, something was added to it, which made it look like it was over budget. It, it really, it really was a mess and is a mess. But it's it's been there are. There are processes in place to clean up all of that now and to move forward and to make yeah. sure that, that there will be value for money going forward and that this will help to rebuild Ireland. Okay. Yeah. Um, you, know, I, you know, Shane, yeah. I, I'm actually going to put a, I'm going to put a question to Me. you if I can. I mean, you, yeah, you started, you started by telling us, you know, about some of the barriers to um, adoption of... Um, off-site construction and uh, modern methods of construction. And and PJ has gone through some of the actions that the state is doing uh, to address this. But can I just ask, almost from an, from an interest point of view, uh, as opposed to expecting there to be um, a, a set of outcomes already prepared, but, you know, what can designers and manufacturers and suppliers um, in the off-site construction sector, what can they do to help the, you know, we see what the state is doing. So what can actually people in this industry do to help the more traditional industry to overcome these barriers? Yeah, yeah it's probably it's funny. It's a question that, that both of us, uh, both PJ and I uh, uh, could answer. But like the. Well, both, both. Please yeah, do. we will. We'll, 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 I, I won't. I won't tarry long on it. But but basically, um the, the private sector is about 30 or the public sector is about 37 percent of all 
work that the construction industry does uh, throughout the year. So, so it has a huge role in leading where it leads. You know, the as the cost as the biggest customer, of the industry, the industry follows. So that's the first thing, and that's very much in PJ's uh, uh, bailiwick there. Um, but, but the industry itself is obviously, like PJ's mentioned, there are frontier companies racing ahead with modular. Um, working out the business model. I know you'll have people on talking about it later on. So, so it's really down to these pioneers to get the finance right, to get the the product right, to get the the sales pitch around it right. Because um, there's there's always when these new uh, technologies and techniques come onto the market, there's always a, a a reactionary kind of traditional view of them sometimes. So there needs to be a, a lot of work done to win the the customers' hearts and minds. Be the consumer or the customer i.e. the government or investors so there'll yeah. be pioneers there and they'll lead the way um, uh, and, and then and it is so I'll deflect the question a bit to, to PJ uh, like getting SMEs to adopt you know some of the technologies that are out there such as BIM and Lean and uh, is, a, is a major challenge with 57,000 SMEs operating in the industry like so it's it, it's a, a, a large part of PJ's work is to take the innovation that the frontier companies are doing and promulgate it down the chain to uh, smaller companies so that there's an overall uh, efficiency benefit and productivity benefit across the whole industry. So that that's that's PJ's challenge as well. So PJ, how are you going to cope with that? Well, I think it's an ambition that will that will make that will be make it, make it worthwhile to deliver. I mean, uh, Carol asked, uh, what, will it, what must industry do? Industry must get on board with us on this journey of innovation and digital adoption. And, um, you know, uh, we need to upskill ourselves and ensure that we can show value for money. I mean, we've interrogated each of these, uh, you know, actions to see how viable they are and what their end game will be. And I'm quite satisfied as the chairman of the group that, that we have very, very viable, what we would call pr- value propositions, very good reasons uh, why, for the good of the country, that we need to do these things, but also for the good of the industry, and we'll lift the industry. And that's one of the reasons why uh, the government is approaching this, in a, a, looking for shared funding, both industry and, and government, and one complementing the other, uh, so that, I mean, it, industry will be retooled and will be made more efficient and more productive and more profitable as a result of all these of these activities, which are partly funded by government. But, you know, but government put the money in up front in terms of the KPMG report, in terms of setting uh, this group up. And um, uh, it's it's quite a challenge. But I mean, every challenge creates an opportunity. And that's the way we're looking at it. We're looking at it. I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, you're right, Peter, that the, the sector that has, we'll say, embraced innovation most wholeheartedly again led by their customer in some way and leading their customer thereafter uh, is is the mech and alex side we mentioned and they have they are a, an exemplar of the benefits of adopting um, uh, innovative practices because now they're 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 uh, our, our sector is kind of commanding a global niche now and a niche sounds small but at a global level we're talking billions here so we've seen Irish construction exports increase. Uh, 
10% year on year over the last couple of years. We're now the second biggest export category for Enterprise Ireland. So so there is a demonstration of the prize and it's really about getting everybody along to, to, to join on the journey, no matter what size you are, you know. Yeah, that, that's a great point, actually, Shane. Just when you talk about exports there, I can remember a number of years ago, the first time I heard uh, your own um, Construction Industry Federation president, Tom Parlin, talk about how Ireland had moved from, you know, effectively emigrating to actually being able to export um, skills in construction. And I thought that was so poignant because it really tells the story of the of the evolution of the industry. So while you might look at the technologies and say there's been slow adoption, there has been a lot of change um, I- I- over that time. And like, like, like sorry, our, our frontier companies. Um, the, the the larger companies, we say the, the top 50 of our membership and, and in our uh, top 50 uh, uh, list, they will be as productive and competitive and as tech driven as any other sector or any other company in the economy. Um, it's just that it's it's getting that innovation um, out, out of them and getting it down into the into the subcontractors and smaller smaller companies. And it's really, really difficult for uh, you know, a mid-sized company to go, you know, dealing with the challenging business environment conditions that they face in Ireland. It's very hard to get someone who's, you know, struggling to see two or three years of a pipeline to go, you know, stop doing that now and sit down here and talk to this guy in a white coat and let's develop, you know, a new technology or innovation. It just is very, very challenging. So Peter's work is hugely important because that kind of sets up sections and different streams of researchers and industry leaders working together and the government. Oh, I'm sorry, Shane's line appears to have just broken out there. Peter, I think PwC were estimating the global construction market would go. Um, oh, Shane, Shane, I'm sorry. I think your line is actually breaking in and out there. Apologies about that. Um, PJ, before we let you go, I, I appreciate you're only in your third month in the role and it's such a such an important role for the future of the industry. Can you give us some insights into maybe your initial plans or the initial tasks that you've set yourself for the first quarter of 2021? Yes, uh, those plans have been set out and we're on a roadmap to um, transform the industry, really. I don't want to exaggerate the transformation, but... It, it certainly won't be um, uh, in five years' time where it will be now because uh, what we're looking at is Ireland's recovery, which will be a treble recovery, a, a recovery from COVID, a recovery towards digitalization, and a green recovery in terms of sustainability that we're seeking to embed. And it's that sustainability bit and the climate action bit that really is motivating a lot of our people on this project, in fact, uh, because they know that that's going to be needed anyway, regardless of whether it's construction or any other industry. Uh, so this, I think my parting words would be that um, Ireland's recovery has to be green and digital, driven by investments in infrastructure, technology and in education. And that uh, we're looking for, we're looking at a vision for an equitable, secure and sustainable transition to a digital society fueled by data. And data is the new currency uh, in this digital transformation. And we, we got to know that and rec- recognize that in how we're working from home for the last uh, seven or eight months. Um, and uh, I mean, you can imagine without that digital transformation so far as that has gone in, in a small sort of way, we really couldn't exist. And you can imagine how powerful it'll be if we, 
really, really up our game. Yeah. PJ, they're very powerful words. And um, certainly in terms of sustainability issues, mm. that's something that we didn't even get to touch on today. So I hope that we'll be able to continue this conversation in the new year, um, you know, and and hopefully we will have a little bit more clarity about uh, the pandemic and some of the more pandemic responsive solutions that we're addressing at the moment. Uh, but certainly for now, thank you so much for sharing. That was PJ Rudden, Chair, Innovation and, um, and Digital Adoption for the Construction Sector Group. Again, PJ, thank you for joining us. We need to take a quick break. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. So I'm now joined by Mark Farmer, founding director and CEO of Cast Consultancy. And regular listeners here will will know that that name sounds familiar because we have often quoted him. He is the lead author of the iconic now Modernise or Die report that was done for the construction industry in the UK uh, about five or six years ago, is it, Mark? That's correct. Just, just uh, past four Just years. past four yeah. years. Very good. So, Mark... Yeah, Thank you yeah. so much for being with us today. I'm, I'm delighted you were in a position to join us, uh, particularly after we've just spoken to PJ Rudden and, and we have a better sense that, you know, the Irish government is has put together a committee to really assess and investigate and, and try action um, some of the inefficiencies and lack of innovation across the construction industry in Ireland. Um, so you might just share your UK experiences. You know, I, I, again, regular listeners here will be familiar with your report. We, we tend to quote it quite often. Mark, you might just take us back before that report. Uh, was that 2016? It was, yeah. It was late 2016 that it, it was formally commissioned. The, the, the discussion um, started actually in late 2015. So actually the whole journey probably started about five years ago and... Uh, it initiated from the British government's concern about their ability to hit their house building targets. So even though Modernise or Die was, is ostensibly a construction industry report and looking at the state of the construction industry, its origins were really in uh, the government's concerns about uh, how it was going to build 250,000 homes a year, which was the government target at that time under the David Cameron uh, administration, um, and also some wider concerns about the labour model that the construction industry was using and the lack of uh, uh, investment into skills and training, um, and the fact that it was a, a fairly fragile model that was uh, appeared to be gradually under more and more pressure. So, so, so the report was jointly sponsored by the Department of Business and the Department of Housing, um, and as I say, that that got published in late late 2016. Um, 10 recommendations for myself, which uh, revolve around some core central themes. Um, and you know, probably of no surprise that, that, that many of those central themes relate to challenging the basic model by which we deliver construction. And you know, since that point, uh, the government, thankfully, has appeared to take on board a lot of the thinking and, and it's perhaps prompted a much broader debate in, in, the, in the UK construction industry um, which is probably, um, from a timing perspective, sat well because there's a whole series of other things that have happened since that have made the urgency to change our model and innovate and to embrace modernisation even more 
um, yeah, past. and Mark, I, this I, I think we're in quite a fortunate position now because you know earlier we we spoke to PJ Rudden and, and we heard his uh, the the state's action plan, you know what they're intending. Um, whereas we have the the benefit of hindsight here with your report of the ten actions in 2016. If you were coming to this report today, would those ten actions be the same? Yes, I, I would actually say. There's nothing that's fundamentally changed my thinking in terms of the, the, the basic recommendations I put forward. And, you know, just to rehearse some of those at a very top line level, I'm not going to go, go over them all. But it was all about being uh, creating a, a stronger partnership between government and industry. So government has a key role to play here in, in uh, accelerating change. If you leave industry to, to change itself and to modernise, it's going to happen gradually over time because the, the external pressures are now getting greater and greater but it will take a long time and what government has an opportunity to do with the right policy and the right thinking is to accelerate that change and I said that one of the key themes that um, government should perhaps focus on is the whole concept of moving towards a pre-manufacturing model and adopting modern methods of construction and I think that is a really important element of my thinking because I know in the past there's been lots of discussion about you know embracing collaboration using collaborative contracts using technology and digital but to be honest they were they were not anchored on anything that actually made it real so it was really difficult to talk about collaboration or to talk about digital without saying actually we're going to hang all of that on a completely different way of building um, and, and delivering construction and that is about moving activities from on-site to off-site or near-site and using digital and using collaborative procurement um, as the means of delivery. So I think for, to an extent, that was the, one of the key takeaways for me, which I, I absolutely has not changed my opinion in terms of the, the, the relevance of that, that kind of recommendation, the central theme to my recommendations um, probably is borne out because MMC, Modern Methods of Construction, is now one of the most talked about um, topics, if you like, in construction, both in the UK and increasingly internationally. Yeah, collaborative procurement. We hear procurement really being uh, cited as one of the the issues, one of the barriers um, to efficiency. And in terms of collaborative procurement, what does that look like between the government and the industry? Well, I think government has a role to play in leading from the front. So one of, one of the things that I, I pointed out was that, you know, government is one of the biggest procurers, one of the biggest clients of the industry from a public works perspective. You know, there's 20 to 30 percent of total construction output is related to public works. So it has a, an opportunity to, to lead by example and saying we're going to procure differently. We are going to procure using um, modern methods of construction as a basic principle. We are going to procure using non-adversarial contracts. We are going to procure using digital as being a sort of key thread of how we brief and deliver our projects. And that started to happen. So back in 2017, um, the British government moved towards a presumption in favour of modern methods of construction for all of its major capital spending programmes. And you know, it's only now we're starting to see the fruits of that in, in terms of the schools programme, the, uh, what's going to be a new hospital building program in the UK and, and increasingly we're seeing the influence of government thinking into the house building program as well in terms of how it disposes of public land and how it, it uses as investment programs so collaborative procurement is about government saying we're going to do things differently it is a combination of MMC technology and the right contract conditions it's not 
one, any one of those three it has to be all of those three together. And as I said in my recommendations, you, you should be using MMC as the key driver for change because it's more tangible and physical and it gets people thinking, well, how do we deliver MMC? Oh, yeah, we have to use collaborative contracts and we have to use technology. Um, Mark, I, I remember a few years ago when uh, BIM was being made mandatory on all UK PPP projects um, just a couple of years ago. That definitely sent shockwaves across the Irish industry. You know, there, there was a sense of, is the Irish government likely to follow? And if so, is the industry ready? And there was a definite sense that the industry was not ready. And I remember at that time um, going to a talk by, I think it was Ralph Montague um, of Arc Docs, who would definitely be one of the eminent figures in BIM technology in across the, the construction industry here in Ireland. And I think at that time, a couple of years ago, you know, he was quoting figures of tech adoption as being somewhere in the region of 15%, uh, which you know, is low across the, the entire in, industry. Um, but how does that compare to where maybe the UK market was when that when when BIM became mandatory on PPP projects? And I suppose the secondary part of that is what did that do to the traditional sector or to the traditional industry? Did it have the capacity? So, so yeah, I think the whole um, BIM journey is relevant here. And Ralph, uh, who, who I've met, is, do, is doing some really good stuff in Ireland around evangelising about that change to a, a different model of delivery. I think it's really important to recognise what we mm -hmm. mean when we talk about BIM, because BIM can mean different things to different people. And, you know, BIM is a, is a whole method of working. It's all about common data. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole process. It's not just about using digital design tools, which many people conflate it with. Um, and the reality is that 15% um, benchmark that you said, being a UK wouldn't have been dissimilar from that at, at, you know, in terms of where it was at the, at the similar point on its journey. And I have to say, you know, the, the BIM is an integral part of enabling modern methods of construction and collaboration because it is this whole process of how we work together and using technology um, as the glue. And it is a me, it's, it's, it's part of the overall journey that I've set out in terms of um, making sure that if we're going to go to modern methods, we're not doing it analog because one of the biggest problems is on the BIM journey has been that, BIM has only been used at a partial level of adoption, in, particularly in the front end of projects where digital design has started to be adopted by architects and engineers. Um, but even then, only partially, I would say. But what's happened as you go through a project life cycle into procurement um, and then into construction on site, as the supply chain broadens and the capacity to do things in a technology enabled way starts to get more and more limited or is varied, um, then you get less and less digital thread if you like going through a project and, and as you go through to site activities it becomes more and more of an analog process so i think you know bim to an extent has hit a bit of a glass ceiling in terms of unless you change the way that we physically deliver including the physical delivery on site not just the design um, then you're always going to go from a digital to an analog model and we have an opportunity for modern methods and manufacturing thinking to keep the digital thread stronger as we pass through digital manufacturing into digital assembly, digital site-based tools. And that actually, I think, is what's going to make BIM come alive in the future. It's a, it's a whole combination of different digital tools, tools that are accessible to the supply chain, including SMEs, because you know part of the problem here is being inclusive of the wider construction industry so that you can take everyone on that journey. And some of the digital tools coming forward now 
are quite cheap and really accessible. And they're all about site-based field tools. They're all about verification. They're about productivity planning. They're about information management. And if you can embed that into an ecosystem of digital tools using modern methods, then I think that's the way we're going to change our industry. Mark, that's so interesting because there's a tendency to think of construction almost as um, not being comparable to any other industry, uh, that it's out on its own and therefore it was somehow immune to the rules that it would need to adapt and that it can't, um, you know, it can't follow the process of digital transformation as we've seen across almost every sector. Um, But I think what's really interesting there is when you talk about that potential glass ceiling um, being hit, that's exactly the same issue that comes up on uh, on uh, the process of digital transformation, whether you're doing it for a law firm or a bakery. So actually, the construction industry is, is, is experiencing the very same as any other industry that's undergoing digital transformation. The difference is it's doing it maybe 20 years later than than other industries. Um, when we when we look at the barriers, because I think that that's where where a lot of the important conversation to be able to to move to our next steps, we need to really identify what the barriers are to adoption of MMC and then um, have an action plan to overcome those. So in terms of the common barriers that we hear, you know, it tends to come back to the funders and the funders confidence in in alternative methods or modern methods of construction and also insurers. Um, And then there's the consumer perception. You know, are these barriers that you had to address over the last number of years? Yeah, they're all of the things you, you referenced there, Carol, are absolutely um, issues that, that I have been trying to address in all the various pieces of work that I've been doing with, with government, with industry over the last four or five years. Um, and they remain issues. Don't get me wrong. They haven't gone away. They just partially being addressed through a programme of awareness building. And I'd say most of the issues that, that we face are around education. And it's about proving to industry and its stakeholders, including financiers, including insurers, and including the general public, who are going to be the recipients of some of the products that, that we deliver as an industry, that innovation is not something to be scared of. And actually, if it's done well, and it's done in a responsible fashion, then it should be a gateway to delivering better outcomes. You know, we all know the problems that traditional construction is currently experiencing in terms of the quality problems that that are are increasingly prevalent, um, the skills and, and resourcing challenges we have in terms of getting enough competent people to work on construction sites. And that, you know, should be a major concern for warranty providers, for insurers, and for the general public. And, and, and what we need to do is find a way of actually overcoming that. So the innovation that moves us towards MMC shouldn't be seen as a, a risk in the sense it's going to make things any worse. It's actually part of the solution to make sure we can better assure the quality of the outcomes we create. And that is particularly relevant. And, you know, from a, from a UK perspective, we've had obviously the Grenfell tragedy a few years ago to really bring this to the fore in terms of understanding how we build public confidence in our industry. Mm. And my view is quite, it's quite clear. The only way you're going to do that is to be able to prove that what you originally said you were going to do is what you end up doing on a construction site. And that is, has to include digital um, verification. It has to include better manufacturing quality assurance of the products that are delivered. It has to be less contingent on variable site labor where you, you're not, not, never 100% sure what's going to happen, whether it's something 
uh, piece of workmanship goes wrong or whether it's supervised correctly. So, you know, for me, all of those barriers have definitely been in my focus over the last few years. We've done a lot of work with the insurance industry. We've done a lot of work with the warranty industry. Um, and to be honest, the, the single biggest way of overcoming some of those issues is just, it's just to prove it, to get out there and build some projects differently and demonstrate it. And the more we do that, the more confidence I think we can drive through demonstration and example and evidence as opposed to just talking. OK, about well, it. then let's take it back to the step in order to be able to, to just do this, to just deliver it. How how do you convince early funders? Um, you know, are there insurers who are who are, um, I, I suppose, they're more amenable to innovation to looking at things differently to assessing things on a on a development by development basis because the, these have been real barriers in Ireland and you know in one way we're fortunate that we do get to look to the UK and actually look and see because we're a num- just a number of years behind we can look and see okay what worked what did you do how did you deliver this what can we learn from that what can we avoid and you know how, so this should really be um, feeding somewhat into our next steps so in terms terms of overcoming these initial these initial barriers you know what advice what would you like to have known three years ago so i think the key the key challenge in all this carol is to get collaboration happening within the key stakeholder groups and and for this issue it is about the warranty providers the new build warranty providers particularly in the housing market because in the housing market if you deliver something using mmc or an innovative approach and it can't get a mortgage Mm -hmm then you hit a brick wall. So you have to engage with the right people involved in the assurance process in the the warranty and insurance process from the very start. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that British government um, uh, asked me to actually chair a working group on back in 2018 was to look at this issue of mortgage finance and insurance for MMC. And it involved getting people around the table. So one of my recommendations for, for Ireland is just to have that discussion very, very early to get everything out on the table as to where people's concerns mm-hmm. are, to address those concerns in terms of how we come up with an accreditation system that actually proves to people that the right quality is there, the right longevity is there, the right resilience of the products is there, and then takes the insurance industry and the warranty industry on that journey. And you know we're starting to see in the UK the warranty market's been pretty variable to date. And for many years, the NHBC, who are the biggest provider of new build warranties in, in, the, in the UK market, mm-hmm. were, were, were slightly nervous about exposure to MMC. Now they've turned the corner and are actually actively looking. They recognize MMC is part of our future. They've actually developed their own assurance platform called NHBC Accepts. They're engaging with the insurance markets around building insurance um, policies as well. And all of a sudden, we start to have the collaboration that I spoke about that's trying to knock down those barriers to confidence building and ensuring that actually the, the buildings that we build are insurable and are, are fundable. OK, and then what impact have you seen? Because that that's really helpful for us. Um, knowing what you went through two years ago is helpful for us to know what we need to do in 2021. But now, now we're dealing with a whole new reality, which is, of course, the impact of COVID. And it's still too early to say what that impact is likely to be. Um, in the UK, what are you seeing? Well, I think COVID is, if anything, really started to bring into more greater focus the issues that I spoke about back in 2016. So what, what's happened since March is that, you know, we went from a position of total lockdown 
and site stopping to the British government saying, actually, no, we want construction to continue, but we want it to be in a safe, socially distanced manner. So all of a sudden, the contractors realising that the the output on their sites was going to be way down because the number um, of the the size of labour force they were able to put on their construction sites was going to be reduced because of social distancing. So what that's done is it's it's accelerated consideration of different forms of off-site manufacture, perhaps greater than would have been the case. So that, that that's not just about full modular volumetric, that's elements of buildings now that where contractors and their design teams are consciously making decisions to say, look, we have to take man hours out of our construction project. If we're going to deliver it anywhere near timescale, if we're going to deliver it to quality and to the best cost profile, we need to start moving activities off-site and increasing our pre-manufactured value. So we've seen that, you know, we've got plenty of live projects where that's been exampled um, in the UK. You can see just the chit chat in the industry generally is that contractors are realising that if they're going to overcome the risks of COVID going forward around, you know, the recurrence of lockdowns or partial tiering, then they have to get savvy with having been able to increase output with less labour on site which is effectively all about MMC and doing things differently. Um, in, in a way that almost brings us full circle, because while we're talking about inefficiencies in the industry, your report initially back in 2016 was prompted by uh, labour market concerns and they weren't UK labour market concerns. They were industry labour uh, concerns globally. You know, that the, there were fewer people coming into the industry. It was perceived as a less desirable industry um you know so in a way it's bringing us full circle but is that is that going to be enough i mean in terms of capacity uh, manufacturing capacity in the uk do you do you have a sense of where the capacity is uh, versus where it needs to be um to, to move into mmc so if you take the house building industry, which is where I do most of my work in the residential sector, it's all about, again, what do we mean by MMC? So one of the things the government did back in uh, last year, actually, was to define MMC. And again, this is a recommendation to Ireland, um, is to get your definitions right. And the and the MMC definitions that the British government have come up with are, are eminently transferable to Ireland. So one of my recommendations would be to use it as a start point for a discussion about do you mean you know something like category one, which is the terminology we use for volumetric modular, which is probably what most people would um, equate to MMC. So full volumetric pre-assembly of residential units, houses or apartments. But but actually where the bulk and, 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 and the capacity for full volumetric MMC in the UK is pretty limited. So we only delivered probably about 3,000 units last year using full volumetric modular construction. But we probably delivered tens of thousands of units using partial MMC solutions across either panelized systems, sub-assemblies or innovative materials, which are in the other categories that we defined. So actually, if you think about where MMC is already happening, it's happening widespread across our industry, um, but at a less overt level. So it's not all about modular construction. The capacity of the industry to, to deliver more is varied across all those categories. And you're not going to get an uptick in volumetric modular manufacturing unless the, 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 that sector sees demand in front of it. So again, it comes back to government saying, do you know what? We're going to actually incentivize MMC. We're going to create more demand through public uh, investment, including in housing. That's what the British government's done, particularly in the last few weeks, actually. It's announced an affordable housing program that will be will have an element of it mandated on the use of MMC. So all of a sudden you start to get a demand-led 
approach to driving investment and capacity building. The industry won't increase its capacity unless it sees more demand for MMC. So it's a, it's, a, it's a fine line between government playing a role to stimulate that demand, private clients recognising that that is the way to go to get more certainty, particularly in the COVID environment on their projects, and then industry responding to that with more investment in factories or double shifting or new entrants coming into the market. Yeah. Affordable housing is really the nut that we need to crack here. Um, you know, and, and so it's interesting to hear from a UK perspective because that seems to be the recurring uh, issue that can't be solved um, here in Ireland in terms of affordable housing. And there's so much conversation going on in terms of construction costs and uh, maybe real construction costs versus um, the the ancillary fees that that feed back into the state, um, but it it all comes back to capacity um, in terms of what is affordable housing at the moment. We know in Ireland that uh, this year we're on track to spend half a billion. Uh, giving payments to private landlords to house our social tenants. Now, Ireland is a small country, so half a billion being paid to to private landlords to to uh, house social tenants. You know, that's not sustainable in the long term. And um, you know, only in the last week, under the Freedom of Information um, and Exchange from inside government w- was published through the media that spoke about you know the the state's appetite to decrease uh, people's dependence on these types of supports and actually try to address affordable housing so that there is a a credible, sustainable mechanism for people. Um, And and obviously, in terms of construction, we need to change our methodologies of construction to be able to deliver that. But affordable housing, um, it seems like that's going to be the most difficult to achieve when our output and our supply is, is missing our uh, housing targets consistently. So, you know, you mentioned that, again, a lot of your work was prompted by the state's concern that it was missing, that it was likely to miss or was missing its housing delivery targets. In Ireland, that's happening consistently. So it seems like actually being able to provide housing in, at any rate is, is a problem. So then actually trying to deliver that in an affordable way, it almost seems like too big and not to crack. You know, is there is there a real possibility that uh, being open to other methods of construction and other methods of delivery, can that really have an impact here? Yeah, so, so everything you've just said, I completely recognise from the UK experience. So, so the key challenge here is how do you link a move towards modern methods of construction and construction transformation to a government-controlled, programmatic approach to housing delivery. And the big issue, certainly from a UK perspective, because it's political, um, you know, the, the Conservative administration has very clearly put its focus on home ownership. So, but the bulk of what we deliver in the UK is private for sale housing. And social housing and affordable housing is delivered either through Section 106 uh, requirements where housing developers are, are forced to provide that um, sub-market housing or through housing associations and local authorities delivering it directly. Mm-hmm. The problem is that unless you're in control of the programmes of social housing delivery and you fund that properly with the right levels of grant or investment um, to deliver it at scale, then you can't connect the move towards MMC and modernisation with a government programme of housing. And, you know, the government in, uh, does not build homes. 
we don't have a state house building program anymore like we did in the 1970s and before that you know we have a government we have a state school building program we have a state um, hospital building program but we don't build homes directly we rely on private developers and housing associations and local authorities to do that and what that implicitly means is the control over how you build it can only be influenced by more limited tools in the army which is either public land disposal conditioning or where you're using investment and grant to support what you do you condition that on the use of mmc it's clearly not as muscular as if you're the Department for Education saying we're going to build all of our uh, schools going forward using MMC, which is what's happened in the UK, they can do that because they are the client. They are a single client and they can do that at scale. Our challenge, in, both in the UK and in Ireland, is how do you deliver affordable homes with the right level of grant funding that then enables the right level of control through the partner bodies that are going to deliver it, to combine industrialization, modern methods, manufacturing, technology with achieving more affordability as well. So the, you know, the idea of building more um, and increasing scale in a manufacturing model means that your cost of production should go down. The challenge at the moment is the existing manufacturing bases we've already discussed is quite immature. There's not many players out there that can ramp up. So you have to go on a really careful, progressive journey of increasing capacity that enables you to achieve these longer term objectives. And politicians clearly get uh, impatient because they get elected on five year cycles. The reality is to change our housing market towards a more MMC led model will take more than five years. So you need politicians to be thinking in the long term, and, but you need MMC and, and transformation also to be a fairly apolitical subject where you have consensus on both sides of the political divide that enables you to attack this as a long-term five to 10 year issue. Mark, I think that's a, a great point in terms of the short-term nature of politicians versus the long-term need uh, when it comes to strategic planning in terms of housing delivery. And it's definitely something that we've, we, we've seen the consequences of, of that um, in Ireland. And I think, again, it's, it's not an Irish problem. And so, again, it's always interesting to hear the same perspective coming from different jurisdictions. Mark, you've been very generous with your time. I'm conscious that we need to wrap up. Uh, before we finish up, you might just let us know what your, uh, I suppose, what's next for the sector uh, and for this industry um, in the UK in 2021. Yeah, so, so there's still quite a lot of stuff going on, which is good. So the momentum towards change hasn't let up. Uh, as, I, as I referenced um, uh, a little bit earlier on, um, the government is ramping up, if anything, it's moved towards MMC. We're seeing the, the drive towards um, uh, more interventions, if you like, around policy into, into the house building market. We're about to see the publication in the next month or so of what's going to be called the Construction Playbook which is effectively a set of rules that are going to govern how public bodies commission construction, central government commissions construction work, which I think will be a real step forward. We're seeing the Construction Leadership Council really start to get some traction around leading the industry with one voice. Um, so, you know, my part in all of that is just to keep banging the drums, to keep evangelising, is to keep supporting government um, wherever I can around its, its transformation ambitions. Um, I think the role of Homes England is going to be particularly important in the house building sector in, in, um, going forward. 
Um, I, I can see the Welsh government and the Scottish government having their own mirror images of that um, in terms of devolved um, uh, uh, administration powers. And I think the Irish government has an absolute opportunity to, to follow all of that in terms of um, you know, getting hold of this transformation agenda and using it as a means of post-COVID recovery. Mark, that's, that's fantastic. Um, so in terms of recommendations for Ireland to get our definitions right, re-emphasise the need for the construction industry to be apolitical. And I look forward to the publication of the construction playbook because procurement is such a vital issue. I mean, we heard PJ Rudden mention earlier in the show that the state is uh, the state uh, buys 38 percent of this industry. So, you know, procurement is such a vital issue. And I think, you know, you've summed it up really well, you know, leading with one voice. That's that's really what we need to take us out of, of this uncertainty. So thank you, Mark Farmer, founding director and CEO at Cast Consultancy. And my special thanks today to my co-host earlier, Shane Dempsey, Director of Communications with the Construction Industry Federation. That's it from us this week. Thank you for listening into Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or indeed email the show at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Finally, my thanks to Peter Rice on sound and show producer Katie Tallon of Hear Me Roar Media. We're back at the same time next week. From myself, Carol Tallon and all the team here, stay safe.